Hey, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that uh, we can be a part of what God's doing in our church and in our midst. We are continuing in the series talking about our mission defined. Uh, now, as I uh, mentioned uh, the last couple of weeks, that I'm, we're not doing this as pastors. We're not doing this uh, simply because our church is off mission. We're not off mission, but we don't want to get off mission. And mission is like a bucket with a hole in the bottom full of water. If you carry it around, it just kind of leaks out. And so if you don't occasionally replenish it with the mission, it'll eventually be all gone, and you'll wonder, how do we get to this place that's so far away from what we started to do? And so every once in a while, we want to come back and just remind ourselves of our mission, make sure that we are on track, make sure that we stay focused. We don't ever want to get off mission, and so we got to keep reminding ourselves of these things. So if you remember the last couple of weeks, if you were here, we talked about the two first parts of our mission, loving God and loving others. And if you, didn't, if you weren't here and you missed those, you can see those on our website at fogkc.com. They're right there already posted for you. We talked about how what it means to really love God with everything that we are, what it means to love others like we love ourselves, and that that's not a reflection of, hey, I got to have a great self-esteem before I can love, love others, but what it really means is I am concerned about others the way that I'm really concerned about ourselves, because all of us are, whether we like to admit it or not, concerned about ourselves. And we looked in Mark chapter 12 at verses 28 through 31, and I just want to read them again to remind you of what they said so that we can kind of build on that for today, the third part of our mission. In Mark chapter 12, it says this, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so we see in this passage that we should love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that we should love others like we love ourselves. Don't you guys just love my aura right now? You, you missed it. It's very funny. As the way that the cars are parked in the parking lot is very distracting for me. But the way the cars are parked in the parking lot, when somebody opens that front door, the light will hit somebody's fender and be right on my face. And I just have to feel like I'm just like shining, like the brilliant Jesus up here, just shining brightly because it's right in my face. You apparently don't see it, and it's all useless. Okay. Wow. That was a, that was a path. All right, Mark chapter 12, we saw here that it is important. God, uh, Jesus says to us that the greatest thing is to love God with all that we are and to love others as ourselves. But we don't stop there because there is a great commandment, there is a great commission, there is a great invitation that Jesus gives us that we're going to talk about today, which is the third part of our mission. Love God, love others, and make disciples. Love God, love others, and make disciples. And by the way, I mentioned the last couple of weeks, if you're a member here, uh, you should, if I walked up to you and said, hey, do you know our mission? You should be able to say, love God, love others, make disciples. Six words, three sentences, very easy. So where do we find this in God's Word? Well, we find it all throughout the New Testament. But specifically, the command is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And we're going to see here today five principles in the passage. And then I want us to see one uh, uh, kind of application for us here at Fellowship of Grace. So let's first look at the passage. I'm going to read it several times today as we look through it. But Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 say this. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see here this very first principle, and that is that Christ has all power and rights. Christ has all power and rights. Look back at verse 18, the very first thing he says. And by the way, what's happened here is Jesus has already died on the cross. Uh, he's already been resurrected. Uh, he's been spending time with his disciples. And, and now they are worshiping him. He appears to them. And this is the very last thing uh, that Matthew's gospel says Jesus told them. And so he's, he's there with his 11 disciples. Judas has already gone off and committed suicide. He's there with his 11 uh, leftover disciples, and he says this to them. But the first thing that he says to them is this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this word authority means all power and all rights. All power and all rights. If you had proper authority to lead a team at your work, you should have all of the power to make it happen as well as all of the rights in order to make it happen. Power and rights go together. And, it's, and what it's saying here is Jesus is saying, listen, I have all authority, folks. I have all the power. I have all the rights in heaven and on earth. There's no other place. He's saying, I have all authority over the entire universe. He's about, he is about to say something to his disciples that is going to freak them out. He is about to say something to them. He's about to give them a task that is daunting. It is so big and enormous, they're going to freak out. So before he tells them what he wants them to do, he says, now listen, guys, I have all power. I have all authority in heaven and on earth, anywhere in the universe. I am in charge. He just beat death, hell, and the grave. I think he's entitled to say, listen, guys, I've got authority. I'm in charge. And then he says to them, he commands them to make disciples. He commands them and us to make disciples. Look as we continue. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now again, every time we see the word therefore, we need to stop and look what it's there for. And in this particular uh, sentence or in this particular context, what, what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, because I've got all authority, because I've got this, therefore, because I've got it, therefore, do this. So he's saying, listen, my power is going to go with you. By the way, in the simplest of terms here, a disciple is a follower who accurately reflects his leader. A disciple is a follower, but not just a follower, but one who accurately reflects his leader. Now think about that. And it's a little more complicated and in-depth than that, but if, if this is the first time that you've heard this term, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, but while Jesus is specifically saying this to his disciples, it's a timeless command for all those who say they're followers of Jesus throughout all time. How do we know that? We'll get back to that in a minute. But in this context, Jesus is saying, since I have all power and rights in the universe, 
Go and make disciples. Look carefully. He doesn't say go and try to make disciples. Go and puts forth some effort to make disciples. It's a command to go and make disciples. So what do we do? Do we, should we all just quit our jobs tomorrow and become discipling missionaries all around the world? Just, just go do it all around the world? No. Not everyone. But perhaps there's someone in this room whom God will call to be a disciple maker somewhere else in the world. But really what this is saying is not go somewhere and make disciples, but as you are going, make disciples. So tomorrow, instead of going to another nation, quitting your job and moving somewhere else, while you were going to quick trip to get your coffee, make disciples. While you're going to work or school, make disciples. While you're going to lunch with friends, make disciples. While you are going wherever you go and whatever you do tomorrow, make disciples. That's the command of Jesus. And when I thought about this and how, how normal this should be for us, I was thinking about what I've heard uh, some coaches tell people uh, when they're doing uh, uh, physical activity. I don't know this by personal experiences, but I've heard it on television. Them say to people, hey, listen, as you're exercising, don't forget to breathe. Now, that sounds just so silly to me. Because what if I forget to breathe? And I keep exercising, and I still forget to breathe. Eventually, I'm just going to pass out and start breathing again, right? I'll be fine. But making disciples should be as normal as remembering to breathe. Most of us don't have to remember to breathe unless we're exercising, from what I've heard. We don't have to remember that. I haven't thought one time this morning about, well, I don't think, it just comes naturally to me. Folks, making disciples should start to come so naturally to us that we almost don't have to remind ourselves, except we need to remind ourselves. In other words, we're making disciples everywhere we go. Now, that should be normal for us, it should be natural for us, and it should be as automatic as breathing, especially at home. Okay? Especially at home. We should be making disciples as we interact with our uh, uh, spouses. We should be making disciples as we interact with our children. We should be making disciples as we go out and live in the world. Yesterday was a particularly uh, trying day for us at the Porter House. Our little dog, Chloe, who's right there. And by the way, she's a lot cuter than she looks in that picture right there. Sweet little dog. We got her as a rescue dog a couple of a year ago. She's two or three years old. Sweetest little disposition. Just couldn't be better. And uh, uh, yesterday, we were going to have her groomed. Couldn't get her into our regular groomer for the last couple of weeks. We've been trying to get her in. Took her to a different groomer. She was there for about three hours, which was what they said it would take. They called me and said, hey, um, I hate to tell you this, but something's gone wrong. Uh, we cut Chloe's tongue off. 
we're taking her to the emergency vet. Uh, The exact words were, we cut off a piece of her tongue. And I'm just like, okay, I'll meet you at the emergency vet. I know where it's at. It's on North Oak. Now, they're coming from Liberty. I live at North Oak and and, uh, Berry Road, and the emergency doctor's on North Oak. So I got there first. So I just, I walked into the, the, the uh, uh, living room. Julie was having uh, all of our daughters over for a birthday party for somebody. And uh, I just walked in and said, hey, they, they hurt Chloe. I'm going to the emergency doctor. Left. Uh, about two, uh, so I got to the emergency doctor. About two minutes later, my daughter drives up, Mandra. And I don't know whether Julie sent her to hold my hand and make sure I didn't lose it or to make sure I didn't go to jail. I wasn't sure why she'd sent her, but I'm sure it was one of those two or a combination thereof. And I had some time to think as I was driving there. Now, we love this little dog. Those of you who have pets, you know. I mean, we love this little dog. And uh, we got inside. Mandra came in, and I've been thinking about this sermon. And uh, I'm just like, okay, this is an opportunity to disciple. It's an opportunity to disciple my daughter, who's a grown adult. She's 30 years old. It's a great opportunity to disciple her. It's a great opportunity to disciple the lady who's bringing my dog. And it's a great opportunity to disciple the people who are behind the counter because, of course, my email, which they already have, is pastor at fogkc.com. It's like having a Fellowship of Grace bumper sticker on your car. I can't even drive anymore, you know? So I literally, when Mandra got there, I literally prayed and I said, Father... Help me to just act like Jesus in this situation because I really, I do not want to act like Jesus right now. Okay? I do not want to act like Jesus right now. But I've got to disciple my daughter and I've got to disciple these people. And so they brought her in. Her whole face was just covered with blood. They took her to the back and were working on her. And uh, by the way, it looks like she's going to be okay. She did get her tongue cut all the way across. I have a picture of that, but I didn't want to show you. It's terrible. Uh, you can go on Facebook if you want to see something like that. Um, but uh, she's able to drink and eat, so she's going to be okay, I think. Uh, but this lady came in. She was very apologetic. Um, just apologized 50 times. Uh, said she was really sorry. Um, said she'd certainly pay for the vet bill. And I'm like, you know, well, you sure will, you know. <laughs> and and uh, to stay calm and cool. And, um, and after we were there for uh, 10 minutes or so, she said, I'm, I'm really kind of amazed that you're not going off on me. Time to disciple her. I said, well, let me tell you why I'm not going off on you. Uh, first of all, I don't want you to misunderstand that I'm okay, because I'm not okay. Uh, but I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a Christian, and I'm a pastor, and, and I want to act like Jesus towards you. And I could tell by her, uh, her expression, by her response to that, that she probably is not a believer. And um, I got that opportunity. I heard the, the ladies behind the counter heard me. And my daughter sat there. And she said to me, wow, I, I really thought you were going to go all tattoo on, on me. And that's, that's from a situation that when she was 17 and she got a tattoo illegally and I saw it when she bent over, uh, I had a little moment there. <laughs> that we all remember. Uh, and I said, no, I, 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 I wanted to be like Christ. And so hopefully I'm growing in that. That was 13 years ago. Uh, 
But I wanted to share that story with you uh, because, folks, those are moments that we have all the time. They're moments we have all the time. Later today, we're going to go, my, my family's going to go to lunch. 90% of the time or greater, I ask the server if we can pray for them. I'm modeling that for my children, for my family, for those who eat lunch with me. We're going to do things later today and interact with people, and I'm going to try really hard to make disciples everywhere I go, to have an influence on them, to grow them to become more like Christ at some level, even if it's just a small step, but especially those whom I'm closest to, because I'll tell you what, you all see me on my, at my Sunday best, right? <laughs> but, but my family sees me all the time. They know what I'm really like. Really, and guess what? Your family knows what you're really like too. So even when you come and put on your best Sunday stuff on Sunday, they know what we're really like. And folks, we have been commanded by Jesus to disciple those around us, to disciple those around us. How do we do that? Well, discipleship starts with evangelism. Disciple making starts with evangelism. Look back at our verse. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now nowhere do we see in the New Testament anybody being baptized who hasn't first given their life to Christ. Discipleship always leads to and begins with evangelism. In other words, if I'm really acting like a disciple, if I'm becoming a better reflection of Jesus... I will be sharing the gospel with people. If others are going to be discipled, it has to start by them giving their lives to Jesus. No one can learn to act like Jesus without the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit in them. It's just not possible. I prayed yesterday because I knew in my own flesh and in my own feelings, I was going to say and do some things that I would later be embarrassed about. It'd feel good at the time. Boy, would it feel good at the time. But I'd be embarrassed and ashamed later. And I didn't want to do that. So I asked God to help me with his spirit. Help me to stay in control, to give him control, really, technically. Folks, unless you come to the realization that you are a sinner and you can't do anything to erase your own sin and you realize that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to pay a death, to pay the price for our sins, so that by putting our faith and trust in Him as our Savior, we can have our sins forgiven and be connected to God and have His Spirit come and live within us. If you have not gotten to that place, you have no hope of acting like Jesus, of ever being discipled, because it starts by being connected to Jesus. So if you're here today and you haven't uh, ever put your faith and trust in Him, if you've never crossed over that line of faith, do it today. Say, God, I'm going to give you my life. I trust what Jesus did on the cross. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't fix that problem. So I trust what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. I accept that. I put my faith and trust in you to take my life. And in that moment, his spirit will come into you and give you the power to become a disciple. Somebody who not only follows Jesus, but who reflects Jesus. And the difference there, folks, is listen, I've had people at my work follow me before that aren't a reflection of me. <laughs> In other words, they'll do what I say because their paycheck is dependent on it, because they report to me. 
But then I've had other employees who, who not only do what I say because they have to, but they, they adopt my view. They adopt my work ethic. They adopt my loyalty to the company. They adopt my way of thinking and, and being at the company. Those are real disciples, not just those who try to do go. We baptized seven people at Smithville Lake. Those are people that had put their faith and trust in Jesus and who are now becoming disciples by being obedient to Christ and doing what he says and growing in that. So all disciple-making starts with evangelism. And if you say, hey, listen, I, I don't have anybody to disciple. I don't have anybody to teach about how to follow Jesus. Well, go lead some people to Jesus. And guess what? You'll have some disciples. You'll have some disciples. That's the easiest way to get disciples is to go and share the gospel with those who don't know him. But disciple-making is not complete until life-on-life transformation takes place. Yes, it starts with evangelism. Yes, it starts with sharing the gospel. But look carefully at what it says in this verse. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to know all that I have commanded you. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It doesn't say teaching them to know. Teaching people knowledge is not discipling, folks. It's a part of discipling. Certainly, people have to know what to do, but it's not the whole process. No disciples are ever made in Sunday school. No disciples are ever made just by coming to church on Sunday morning. No disciples are made just by listening to preaching, either at church or on the radio or on television or anywhere else. No disciples are ever made in a classroom of any kind. Disciple-making is not the transfer of information. It's transformation. This only happens in in the lab called life. You know, when you take a chemistry class, uh, you might have some book study. You might go in and have a classroom time. But then what do you do? You move to the lab. You do experiments. You see how these principles really work in real life. You're being discipled to know chemistry. It's the same way with knowing how to follow Jesus and to reflect him. Yes, you can come here and you can hear about what to do. And it can help you and it can give you some knowledge. But you aren't ever going to really know what it's like to follow Jesus unless you do some experiments in the lab of life. By the way, this is a lifelong process. If the goal really is to teach your disciples to observe everything Jesus taught, that that is a big task. While in some ways I have grown as a disciple, I have become a disciple in some ways, I am still becoming a disciple in many other ways. I'm growing. I'm still learning. I I maybe have mastered a few issues of life, but there's still many other issues I haven't mastered. And hopefully I'm becoming more like Jesus and I'm reflecting him in a better way. I'm going to let Pastor Derek kind of define this a little better next week when we discuss the 3G campaign, kind of where we're at with that and what we're doing with that. But here's the bottom line, folks. We can teach what we know but we reproduce what we are. Now, parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? 
Because if we yell at our kids constantly and tell them not to yell, are they going to be yellers? Yes, they are. They're not going to listen to what we tell them. They're going to do what we do in front of them. You want to teach your kids how to pray? Pray with them. Pray in front of them. You want to teach your kids how to read the Bible? Read the Bible with them. Read the Bible in front of them. Let them sneak into your room someday and catch you reading the Bible. Ooh, wouldn't that be strange? We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. That puts a lot of pressure on us, folks, because first, we must be a good follower of Jesus to make a good follower of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, in the King James Version, it says, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. In the English Standard Version, it's, it's a little bit different. It says, be an imitator of me just as I also am of Christ. Now, what Paul's saying there is this. Listen, guys, I'm following Christ so well. If you'll just come and be like I am and do what I do, you will be an awesome follower of Jesus. Now, that's not, that's not haughty or uh, uh, conceited. He wasn't saying he was Jesus. He was saying, look, guys, my life has been pretty deeply transformed by Jesus. If you'll just come and follow me, you'll become more like Jesus too. How many of us, in all honesty, can look at our kids and say, listen, just do what I do and you'll be a great follower of Jesus? How many of us can say to our coworker, you'll be a great follower of Jesus? You see, folks, that really puts a lot of pressure on all of us not to be perfect but to realize that we can be really good disciples of Jesus if we let him control our lives. If we put our faith and trust in him and we rely on his power and his, and his ability to change us and transform us, we can have some integrity when we say, listen, just come and do what I do. Just come shadow me. Just come watch me. Come and hang out with me. Watch what I do at a restaurant when I get the wrong order and you'll be like Jesus. Come and watch when the person at the car place tells me it's going to take an hour and it's four hours. Come and watch how I react to that and you'll be like Jesus. Come and see what happens when I get bad news from the doctor. Hang out with me and see how I handle that. You'll be a great follower of Jesus. Come and see what it's like when I lose my job. And see what I do. See how I act. See how I react. Come and just do what I do. And you'll be a great follower of Jesus. Folks, I understand that that's a big daunting task for us. But if we're going to take making disciples seriously, if we're going to take that command serious, we've got to do those things. A great question for us is, am I a good enough follower and reflector of Jesus to say, if you'll just come do what I do, and be who I am, you will be an awesome follower of Jesus. If not, it's not an excuse to go, well, I guess I can't make any disciples yet. I guess I'll have to wait until I really become a great follower of Jesus before I make disciples, because that commands only for those who can be, no, 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 no. Feel the pressure to become more like Jesus now and bring those along with you 
who were farther behind. The reality is, for every single person in this room, there is somebody farther down the spiritual path from us that we can learn from and we can grow from and we can be discipled by. And there are people behind us on the spiritual path who we can invest in, who that we can love and, and, and minister to and help them grow in their relationship with Christ. And we have to do both. We have to do both. Lastly, I want you to see in this passage that Jesus is with us to make it happen. It's really incredible that if you look at these three verses, this unbelievably challenging command has bookends before it and after it that are promises of Jesus. Look what he says at the end. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why was this not just for Jesus' disciples? Why was this not just for those 11 that were sitting there? Because he said, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. We are not at the end of the age yet. So he was speaking to all of us. He was speaking to all of us. Now, here in this moment, if you're hearing this for the first time, and perhaps some of it are hearing it again, it seems like an impossible task. How in the world can we reach all 16,000 people groups in the world and disciple them. There's approximately 16,000 people groups. Those are not nations, but specific people groups that are different from people groups next to them. How can we reach all 16,000 people groups in the world and disciple all of them to be like Jesus? It's, It's really an amazing task. But Jesus says that he'll be with us every step of the way. So if you are discipling someone and they stab you in the back and run away, Jesus is with you. If your discipler never seems to get it, never seems to understand what it is to follow Jesus, Jesus is with you. No matter what befalls you as you try to make disciples, Jesus is saying, I am right there with you every step of the way. And by the way, don't put pressure on yourself to be perfect about discipling people. Not even Jesus got everybody. Think about it. There were a lot of people that rejected him. Even his 12 closest friends, one of them turned and stabbed him in the back. It's not our responsibility to make sure other people do what they're supposed to do. It is our responsibility to invest in them. It is our responsibility to do whatever we can to make disciples. Now, over my 40-plus years of being a Christian, I've invested in a lot of people. Even before I was a a paid pastor, I, I was investing my life in other people. Some Some have turned their backs on me, everything that I taught them, everything that they said they believed. They've gone out and ruined their lives, and it's broken my heart. But some, some have gone on to become missionaries and pastors and and pastors' wives and seminary teachers. Some of the kids that were in my youth group 
have gone on to do wonderful, incredible things for the kingdom of God. Listen, you're going to have some, some failures that break your heart when it comes to making disciples. But let me tell you, the ones who make it will be so sweet. They'll be so sweet that they will, man, they will just, uh, they will make it all worthwhile. You know, when the Bible talks about crowns, when we all die and face Jesus and get to heaven, there's a crown for those who have been good disciples, for those who have invested in others. And the picture of it is that, and we don't know exactly how it's all going to work, but the picture is at the end of a ball game, when somebody has made a particularly great investment in the ball game and they've kind of been the hero of the game, and the whole team comes up and puts them on their shoulder and carries them around the field, the picture is kind of like, hey, you know what? All the people that you've invested in, all the people that you've led to Jesus, all the people that you've been a part of seeing that they come to Jesus and, and investing in their lives and seeing them become followers of Jesus, when we get to heaven, all those people somehow are going to hoist you up and just kind of carry you around heaven for a minute or two and just say, you know, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's not why we do it, folks. We do it because Jesus told us to do it, and we want to be obedient to him. But don't be discouraged because you don't get 100%. Don't be discouraged when things don't go well. Don't be discouraged when things don't go right because Jesus says, listen, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Now, those are the principles of that passage. What do we do here at Fellowship of Grace? Well, Fog provides core groups in order to accomplish discipleship. We have a vehicle for providing the atmosphere, the environment, and the structure to make disciples. Disciples only happen life on life. We don't make them from the pulpit. We don't make them from Bible studies. We make them from doing life together. But you must be willing to be a disciple and make a disciple to be in a core group and to really do A core group is a group of three to five same-gender people that get together once a week and, and, and really just have a structure and a curriculum. The curriculum is not discipleship, but the curriculum gives us a, 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 a kind of a basis or a structure for life-on-life -life discipleship. It's having someone come alongside you and say, let me invest my life in you. Let's invest our life in each other. And let's grow. Let's become a better follower of Jesus. And let's together become a better reflector of who Jesus is. Folks, that's what God is telling us to do. And that's why uh, when you're part of Fellowship of Grace, our mission forever will be to love God, love others, and make disciples. Come and be a part of that. I would like everybody where you're sitting to take out that connection card right in front of you. Everybody grab that and hold it up for just a second. Everybody take it out, hold it up so I can see you got it. Come on, come on. Come on, it's only two feet away. How long does it take you? Hurry. All right, good, good. All right, right there on the back of that are some decisions. Now, I know I've made you go through some effort already to take it out. Listen, if you want to be in a core group and have somebody invest in you, put that down. If there's not a box for it, just write core group. We want to give you opportunities here to respond to the things that God is doing in your heart and in your life. If you'd like to, if you've been in a core group and you'd like to lead a core group, let us know that. If there are other decisions, if you're here today and you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can learn to reflect Jesus with his power and his spirit in you, put that down. However God is leading you today, 
Put it down on that card so that we can help you. Folks, you know what? One of the things that we aren't able to do as pastors, and, and, and you're surrounded by pastors who love you, who care about you, who want the best for you and are willing and able to sacrifice for you. And I speak for all of the pastors here at Fellowship of Grace. But we are not mind readers. <laughs> we are not clairvoyant. We don't know what God's doing in your mind and in your heart if you don't tell us. So tell us. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. Let us send, uh, put people around you that will encourage and help you. So if I were to ask you next week, hey, do you know Fellowship of Grace's mission? What would you say? What would you say? Okay, don't tell me you can't memorize anything. That was awesome, okay? That was awesome. So let's do that together, folks. As a church, let's encourage each other. Let's encourage ourselves as a body to love God in a greater way, love others in a greater way, and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit that guide and lead us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have our lives transformed by your incredible power. Thank you for saving us, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to save us. Father, we thank you for the spirit in us that gives us the ability to become more like you. God, forgive us for where we failed you, for where we have decided to live by our emotions and our flesh rather than by your spirit and by your power. God, help us to do that better. And, and Lord, give us ways to love you in a greater way. Help us to see ways to love others. And then, Lord, help us to make disciples that will live for you and reproduce for the rest of their lives until the end of this age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.